Father, thank you for that truth that even in the midst of change and upheaval and just stuff going on, that while we take precautions and we're wise, we do not have to live in fear and deep anxiety, but we can trust you. Thank you that we are your children and that the ultimate reality <clears throat> is that we are your beloved children, the ones upon whom you smile and love and care, that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, that we are literally the home of God, that is crazy, that we live in an unshakable kingdom, and that we are destined to share your eternal glory with you. And so we, we come today with all of that deeply in our minds and hearts, and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I just was sitting back there with the, the shaker thing, noticing that uh, you guys left me a lot of social distance today. Uh, I can tell you guys must think I'm very contagious or something. Uh, Scott is here and Brent, I know I saw Brent, Brent's somewhere, where's Brent McCrory? Anyways, I know, I just want to give you guys a shout out and thanks for, um, for teaching the Word of God the last two weeks. I appreciate you guys doing that. We had a, a really great conference, um, had a good time in Orlando and learned some stuff, and I think we were all challenged and encouraged. Uh, at least, I know one of us ended up, Carissa was the same way, came home, I think, with uh, sand flea bites. Um, so it's worse than chiggers. It lasts a lot longer than chiggers do. So stay away from the beach. See, I, I've always known I was a mountain person for a reason, and now I know. Uh, now I know why. And Mexico team's back. Probably most of them are, are in bed tonight. I heard a lot of them were coming back with sneezes and, and that kind of stuff from... Not, not, I don't think, the virus or anything. Just there's a lot of dust and stuff down there. Somebody was telling me that it's common for people to come back with some allergies or something. So it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Yeah, so I thought that I would, uh, there was a series that we had planned for the next four weeks that we're going to actually put on hold because the next few weeks, we're just not totally sure what all is going to happen. So as leadership, we're keeping abreast of everything, um, but thought it was important to, to just speak to what's been, uh, what's been going on the last week with all the cancellations and everything, it's, it's kind of been crazy. I mean, you've kind of felt it coming for like a month. The main website I go to for news every day, about half the stories have been coronavirus for a long time. And um, so you kind of felt it was coming. But, and it's pretty obvious, I think, that in our culture, for many, the spread of this virus has caused a lot of anxiety and fear. I mean, you can feel that. I haven't been to Walmart in the last few days, but somebody was just saying they went yesterday and even weird stuff was gone. Peanut butter, ramen noodles. I mean, I don't know, maybe that's not weird stuff, but um, Kieran got a text from a friend who's in Florida over spring break, and he just went to buy some pasta to make spaghetti, and the pasta aisle was totally cleared out in Florida. Uh, so there's been a lot of fear and anxiety. Um, I think not quite as extreme in the middle of the country. Uh, 
the Midwesterners, I think, were pretty tough, resilient, common sense type folk. Not that others aren't, right? But maybe we are a little more. Uh, even saw a news story this morning on how Midwesterners are not taking it quite as seriously. And I thought it was going to be a story about like how calm and resilient and tough Midwesterners are. And it was about how stupid they are. So obviously written by somebody in New York or somewhere. I don't know. But, um, but I read this week. Uh, but there is this fear and panic in the air, right? And I read this week that um, individual and cultural fear ramps up. Um, when we become preoccupied by a problem that gives us a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. And I think this virus has done that on a global scale. Um, You know, we know international students, so this has actually been going on at a higher rate and with more fear in places before here. And so we've been in conversations with those people and have even felt that from them for a little while now. Um, But definitely on a global scale, there is this preoccupation with the problem, right? And there is a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. And it's created a lot of anxiety. Uh, Robert, who put this worship together for another sermon, actually, um, but it it was cool how God brought those songs together, especially the last one. Um, I thought that was really appropriate. But this whole thing with anxiety, interestingly, our word anxiety, the family of words it comes from, the great-great-grandfather is the Greek word ananke, which means throat or to press together. And in fact, it was the name of the Greek god of constraint who presided over slavery. Um, Ananke was the name... um, I mean, it was the word that was used for the yokes and the rings that were put around the necks of slaves. And isn't it fascinating that that ended up becoming the root of our word for anxiety? Because anxiety can hold us back, it can take us by the throat, and it can chain us like slaves, right? And I think we're kind of seeing that right now in our culture. So I just want to speak to this anxiety this morning. Um, During my sabbatical four years ago, Corey Schlieff heightened my awareness as I met with him during that time of my awareness of and my appreciation of the concept of systems, of um, family systems that in counseling it used to be primarily just they would do individuals or one-on-one, but now they're realizing that, or there's been this realization that families operate as human systems and individual parts impact the whole system and the system impacts individual parts. Um, Dr. Murray Brown was the first person to begin to emphasize that. And then Edwin Friedman took those ideas and he applied them to every human system. And he said it's not just families, but a church is a system. And organizations, institutions, even a culture is a system. And in a system, everything is interconnected and interrelated. And some of the things they talk about systems is that systems are very fragile, um, that a system can be healthy, but a system can also become unhealthy and even toxic. And when a system is unhealthy, it tends to carry um, anxiety. That's what they say. It tends to carry anxiety. And that this anxiety within a system, it's a contagion that others can catch. And when anxiety starts to spread in a system, that system begins to exhibit what they call 
ambient anxiety. And ambient anxiety is this low-grade anxiety that's just always there in the individuals and in the system. It's running in the background below the surface and enough to keep that anxiety subconsciously activated and elevated and all it takes is one event for that system to really blow up with anxiety. Um, it's just ready to spring into action in any heightened way. And I think um, that's part of what we've been seeing this week. Because we live in a culture, and we live in a system and a culture that has very high levels of ambient anxiety right now. Um, it is natural to become fearful and anxious in the midst of the unknown and threats to our well-being, but there's something much deeper going on in our culture. Don't you feel that? There's something much deeper going on, the, the response. Um, I've mentioned this several times before, but our culture's already is systemically showing high levels of anxiety, the young, each generation higher levels of anxiety than ever before. Um, and that was before the uber high levels of this week. So our cultural system has been not healthy for a, for a while, and that's why the heightened levels of anxiety. Charles Taylor has a lot to say about this. Um, he's a tough read, but he's got a lot of good stuff to say about our culture, but basically, he would say the reason our system, cultural system, is broken and has these high levels of ambient anxiety is because the Judeo-Christian worldview and the narrative of the Bible no longer predominates in our culture. The modern secularism has gained supremacy. Um, he talks about that we live in a world that's become flattened, so to speak, that even if there is a God, He's just this kind of faraway thing that really people don't imagine much in their everyday life, can live weeks, months, years without even thinking about it. So life has become very flattened. Meaning and significance are contained just in this world, and increasingly, meaning and significance are contained only in the individual self, that this is where all meaning and significance comes from. Um, a large number of Americans no longer have this idea that there's this greater overriding spiritual reality that impacts our daily lives. Just we're as humans, we're just autonomous, independent beings, unhooked from really any sense of transcendence, free to shape our own identity. Um, and that sense of God as a sacred presence that's transcendent over everything is, is greatly diminishing. Um, if you've seen the movie Onward, the first two to three minutes are the best part of the movie, in my opinion. They wonderfully illustrate how that modern secularism has disenchanted our world, has flattened our world out, and has taken any sense of transcendence away. And I think above all, we live in a culture where many, because of this change in how our culture views reality, the many live uh, with no idea really about life and death and what comes after death, and is there an afterlife? And so a lot of people in our culture are enslaved to the fear of death, and I know what that feels like because I was there. A lot of people are enslaved to the fear of death. Um, so I think our secular system in America and the West is fr very fragile, and I think it's opened us up to increasing levels of anxiety. And the modern illusion, illusion of control has been exposed 
Um, we all know that we really aren't in control, but it, it's at times like this when that's really heightened, the sense that really I have no control. I don't know if the person next to me has this or if I'm going to come into contact somewhere with this virus. Um, not much is under our control. This has really, I think, unleashed that sense. And I think many of the idols of this age are being shown for what they are as being powerless and false. Uh, Think of our culture's obsession with sports and how this week that idol like collapsed, right? And so if you want to watch sports on the weekend, you have to get on YouTube and watch the KU Championship from (laughs) 1988, something like that. Um, And I I just think this virus, it's, it's not just shown us that we don't have control, that it's torn down, it's tearing down some of our cultural idols. It's also just pulling back that shroud, um, that cultural shroud that how we try to hide death from ourselves, um, and I think has really revealed this cultural fear of death. Um, so I think that's why all this ambient anxiety that we're witnessing. And as Mark Sayers says, he says that this anxiety we're witnessing, he said it's the canary. Um, in the coal mine of our secular age. Because, you know, the canaries were the first... When a canary died, that was the sign there was something going on wrong, right? And to get out of here. And I think this anxiety is like the canary that shows us that there's something deeply wrong in our culture. Um, I really do believe we live in a broken cultural system, a modern secular system that has no ultimate answers where people have a heightened sense of vulnerability and a diminished sense of power. I think it's, this virus has stripped our culture down and shown its underlying secularism for what it is, um, that it is an emperor with no clothes, that the worldview that most of our culture has taken on and promotes is an emperor with no clothes. One more thing about systems that I didn't tell you that I want to share, um, and it's this idea about anxiety and systems um, when we talked ambient it's that a lone, single, non-anxious presence can begin to change a system. And if you, if you ever are involved with counseling in any way with systems, that's what they will tell you is all it takes is for one person in a family system to become a non-anxious presence, and it begins to influence everybody in the family. All it takes to tone down the level of ambient anxiety is for one pivotal person to begin to act in a non-anxious way, to be what they call a non-anxious presence. And I think that as followers of Jesus, we should be that non-anxious presence in our culture, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, but specifically in Emporia, Kansas. I really... uh, believe that is our calling in this time, is to be that non-anxious presence, that we respond with faith and not fear, that we walk in a palpable sense of hope, a hope that's rooted in a real-life trust in a God who is creator, the sovereign king who is a good and loving father, a God who is both great and who is good. That's what I think our calling as a community is at this time. Like Paul, if you go, maybe today, pull out your Bible and read Acts 27, when storms came and hit a ship that he was on, and anxiety 
reached a fever pitch. Paul was the non-anxious presence on that ship that spoke faith into the fear. And I think that's what we're called to be in, on the ship that we're in in our culture. And to be that presence, we have to embody hope. Um, and hope isn't, I wish it were true, like I hope the NCAA tournament gets to happen in a month. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope of a certainty based upon God's truth of things that we know will be true. And so we just trust in God. And there's four things as I thought about this that I feel like that we, we need to trust that to be a non-anxious presence, to embody hope, that we need to trust that He's in control. Um, before our worship, David prayed for us and had this prayer that should have been this, the morning sermon, but it was just acknowledging God's control. Hebrews 12, 28 says that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That cannot be shaken. Isn't it great to be part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken in a culture where everybody feels shaken right now? Isn't that great? We cling to the promise of Psalm 112, 6 and 7, where David says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken, and they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Or as David says in Psalm 16, 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord, with Him at my right hand. I'll not be shaken. Isn't that a great thing to trust in? So, we trust that He's in control. We trust that He cares for us. Luke 12, 6-7, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Matthew adds that not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. I like how Eugene Peterson put in the message, what's the price of two or three pet canaries? Some lose change, right? But God never overlooks a single one, and He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hair on your head. So don't be intimidated by all the bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. So we trust that He's in control. We trust that He cares for us. And even as David prayed this morning... Uh, one of my favorite scripture. We trust knowing that Romans 8, 28, that He causes all things to work for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. So we trust in His care. Third, I think we trust that He is present with us. Joshua 1, the Lord said, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous. In fact, be strong and very courageous, He says. Be strong and courageous three times. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I've read this. That is the most often mentioned promise in the Bible, is God's promise to be with us. In Hebrews 13, 5 to 6, God said, I will, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. I'll not be afraid. Matthew 28, 20, before leaving his followers, Jesus came to them and he said, surely I am with you always, 
to the very end of the age. So we have the promise of the presence of Jesus, our, our master. Last night, Pat was helping me with some scripture. She said, how about Isaiah 41, 10 and 13, where it says, the Lord said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. So we trust He's present with us. And then we trust that He is the keeper of our souls. Yeah, we entrust Him with our soul. And by that I mean that I'm, in, I'm trusting that when I pass through death, I can't give myself eternal life. I can't guarantee personally in my own power of life after death. But He promises that. He promises eternal life to those who follow Him. He promises to raise me from the dead in that great day in the end. And so that settled sense of even in the midst of this, that I can entrust Him with my soul. And that even if death were around the door, around the corner for me this week, not from the virus, but from anything, that I don't have to live in fear of that day, of that time. I used to live in fear of that before I knew Jesus. I know that fear. So this one for me is really big personally because I've, I've gone from living in the fear of death to having a sense that I entrust God with my soul. Job entrusted God with his soul. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. My Redeemer lives and I will see him. We lean on the words of the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus, who said this in John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow them. Follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I rest secure in the hands of Jesus, enveloped in the hands of the Father, and can never be snatched out of His hand. And that's why John wrote in 1 John 5, 12, and 13 that he says, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. These things I have written so that you may know, you who have believed in the Son may know that you have eternal life, that we can have this settled sense this certitude, this hope, this trust that my soul is in His hands and that death will not be the end and that beyond that is He's waiting me, awaiting all those of us who follow Him with open arms. Isn't, isn't that great to know that we can entrust Him with our soul? We follow Jesus' example in this on the cross in Luke 23, 46 where He said, Father, into Your hands I commend my spirit something that we can say with confidence daily, even when we're not faced with death, that we can all say, Father, today into your hands I commend my spirit, that if this is the day, I commend my spirit joyfully into your hands.
So this week I have found Paul's words to Timothy to be quite profound. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. And John adds in his epistle, because there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out fear. So, let us be that settled, trusting, non-anxious presence in our homes, our workspaces, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. And I think we will do that if we embody trust and hope, not just in our spirit, but I think if we embody trust and hope by living selfless, sacrificial lives of love that flow from that, that people see in us that we are willing to put our necks on the line for caring for others, even when others maybe are in fear of that. Um, So, to me, that's part of the way that we be a non-anxious president is that we serve others in love and sacrifice. We love our neighbor, as Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and with all of your mind because this is the first and the greatest command. And the second is just like it. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we, with love and hope, not living in fear, are willing to love our neighbor and to do whatever we need to do in the midst of this this thing that's going on with the virus. And we not only love our neighbor, but we contribute to the flourishing and the welfare of our city. We're willing to do whatever it takes that we can contribute to the welfare of Emporia. In Jeremiah 29, 4-7, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And I think these are His words to us who live in exile in a secular culture. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. And so we embody a non-anxious presence, not just with our attitude, but by selflessly, sacrificially serving our neighbor and living for the welfare of our city. Whatever it takes, whatever we can do as a body, as individuals to contribute to the welfare of Emporia. Andy Crouch wrote a pretty profound article this week on this, and he said, we have an unprecedented chance to act redemptively in the midst of crisis and fear. Redemptive action which is characterized by creative restoration through sacrifice. And he mentioned, and it um, reminded me... (laughs) If you've ever, if you, I, I don't know how much you love reading stuff, but Rodney, Sparks, Rodney Stark, preeminent sociologist in the U.S., wrote this book, The Rise of Christianity, how the obscure, marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in just a few centuries. And the growth of the early Christian movement, the Jesus movement, was so exponentially crazy. And he has, he talks about why. And one of the main reasons, there's a chapter in here on epidemics, networks, and conversion. And he talks about these massive epidemics that were going through the Roman Empire in those first couple of hundred years that were killing about a third of the population, each epidemic. And how that the Roman 
The higher-ups, the people with wealth, a lot of the government officials were fleeing the cities and going to estates in the mountains to be alone and isolate. Even Galen, who was the most prominent physician in Rome, fled to Asia Minor to live alone on an estate that he had there. Physicians were leaving. Families were throwing sick people, even loved ones, out in the streets out of fear to get them away. Thankfully, that's not happening anymore because the Jesus movement has greatly impacted Western culture to where we don't do that to our sickly anymore. But that's what they were doing. And the, the Christians, the people who followed Jesus, were the people who stayed in the cities, who not only cared for their sick, but they took in the sick from other homes and strangers. And a lot of them died, he talks about. But interesting, a lot of them also developed immunity that the next time an epidemic came through, they were less likely to succumb to it. And then when those sick people who didn't know Jesus, when they got well and better, and then when the epidemic passed and the, the, the priests of all the gods came back and all the higher-ups and the, the, the medical professionals came back and then it was time to go do your religious thing, how many of, them, do you, how many of those people who saw what happened in that city were interested in the, the cultural normative religion? They had no interest. The people they were attracted to were the people who followed Jesus and how much the church grew through those times of the epidemics. Powerful story. If we, if we live in this way as a non-anxious presence, not just with sense of hope and trust that people can sense, a lack of fear and anxiety, but also this loving of neighbor and this living for the, the welfare of our city, um, I believe it will give us opportunities to put 1 Peter 3.15 into practice where we're told that in our hearts, we are to revere Christ as Lord. So at, at this time, more than any, make sure He is Lord of your life, that you're walking with Him. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Because there's a lot of hopelessness right now. Uh, again, I know how I felt when I faced death as a teenager. Um, the hopelessness that I had and the fear that I walked in. And so I think now more than ever, we live in a non-anxious, as a non-anxious presence, and we pray for opportunities to be able to impact people in our culture who, in our city, in our neighborhood, who are living in great fear, and who, by our demeanor and the way we live, very well could ask what that hope is that gives us that reason. So, um, the reason for our hope. And we should be prepared because... I mean, again, this is me. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, without God in the world. There are a lot of people living that way, and that's why this anxiety is so ramped up. So, so in the weeks ahead, may we be, as a community, may we follow the way of Jesus and the way of love as we seek to be a non-anxious presence in this time of great cultural anxiety. Let's be faithful to be the hands and feet of Jesus, caring for those in need and pointing people towards that ultimate hope. And in our lives and our words, in our lives and in our words, people should hear us saying frequently the words that were on the lips of the angels and Jesus many times, which is, do not be afraid. They should see that in our lives, this message of do not be afraid. And they should hear it in our words if they need it. Let's not go around telling people, hey, everything's fine, you're going to be okay. 
especially let's not tell people, hey, you're overreacting, okay, those aren't helpful. We don't want to just throw out these cliche things, but the thing we can communicate is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So that's our ch my challenge to us as a family. Um, yeah, the thing that I'm trying to live into and I think as followers of Jesus, the way that we need to live right now. A few items. Um, just as a leadership, we want to ensure you that our primary concern is you um, as individuals. Um, we're not sitting around worried about attendance or numbers, that our programs are full or running, but what we care about is, is as a family, we care about each of us and you guys as individuals. Um, I heard a pastor say yesterday, and I think we agree that our staff and leadership, that we take seriously our stewardship of the most valuable resource that we've been given, and that's you. And so... Um, long before this virus hit, this has been a priority to us at 12th, even before I was up here, just going back for a long time. In the background, we have always cared for your safety and security more than you know. We've always cared for that. Um, just one example, it's always been our practice to thoroughly clean the church and especially the children's areas on a weekly basis. You should see the industrial strength cleaner Caleb carries around all week long zapping all over the place. Um, our children environments have always maintained a very careful, thorough cleaning regimen, and we will continue to do so. So just, we do care about you guys and your health. Um, secondly, I want you to know that leadership is continuing to look at the situation or monitor it. Um, it is extremely fluid, constant flow of new information and updates, and just know that we're continuing to assess the situation throughout the week and the coming weeks. And we'll let you know of any changes should they occur. Um, we'll continue to do updates for right now. Things, your groups can continue to meet as planned. Jordan, I do have a question. Was Pioneers meeting tonight? <laughs> so it was on. Okay. And I assume some small groups are still meeting. So if, I mean, if that was your plan, we haven't, um, we haven't canceled. That's, you know, for you to decide to determine what to do with that. But um, things are still meeting. Just take care of yourself. On, there's a lot of stuff out there on the website. We put a thing up, you know, just some stuff to do to take care of yourself. But around here especially, for a few weeks, let's just, uh, you know, Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Maybe that's not wise. Uh, just got a, a blown kiss from over there. Um, and, you know, handshakes, as hard as it was, I kept this morning wanting to, like, touch people. Wave is good. Yeah, we can, so do the wave and do the smile kind of thing for a few weeks. They even say the elbow bump, but I'm really not sure about the elbow bump because, like, I watched Jordan all week every time he sneezed because he brought something home from Florida. He's sneezing or coughing here. <coughs> And then you're gonna, you're gonna like elbow bump. You're gonna like that thing's got all the, all those contagions on it. So I'm. I mean, he's doing the right thing. They say you do that. So I'm just gonna forgo even elbow bumps. Um, poor Phil Metzger. He got a bunch of elbow bumps back there, and I was telling him his shirt's probably just covered now with. <laughs> but just take care of yourself. Take some precautions. Um, we are temporarily suspending the offering plates, 
So we've got them sitting in the back, so on your way out, you can put your money in there. If you want, if you've never given online, that may be even easier. If you get on the church website, there's a tab to do that. Um, and for the next few weeks, just to be on the safe side, we've decided to suspend serving coffee and refreshments in our coffee room. Um, so if you want to have a caffeinated beverage to keep you awake during sermons, please bring your own brew. And by that, I mean Folgers. <laughs> bring your own brew. So, um, and I just want you to know, all of these precautions, they do not come out of a spirit of fear, but they come out of a spirit of love, out of a spirit of love. Um, while the, the virus is not extremely dangerous to most of us in here, there are some who are part of our body that are more susceptible to it. And so we want to exercise caution as a tangible way of expressing love to the vulnerable in our midst. Um, those who are elderly with prior medical conditions or those who have compromised immune systems. So we, the things we're doing are coming out of love, not out of fear. Um, and in that spirit of love, the leadership, we're willing to change whatever should the circumstances warrant it. I know of several states already that have banned groups meeting over 250. And I know of some churches because of that and obedience to Romans 13 followed what the, their state said. And we're not meeting as a large group, but we're meeting in small communities. So um, if for some reason we need for the next few weeks to alter our pra practices and the way we gather, um, again, it's not going to be out of self-protection. It's just going to be out of love seeking to protect the vulnerable and the weak. That's our motivation. Um, the series I was going to do was on our Christian liberty. And in preparing for that, in Romans 14 and 15, Paul talks a lot about the weak. And in Romans 15, 1 to 3, he says this, We who are strong ought to be considerate of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself. As one author I read this week said that throughout human history, until kind of modern times, but throughout, modern, throughout most of ancient history, human history, in virtually every religion, the strong are the ones who won. They held the upper hand, and everything was done for their benefit and never for the weak. And Jesus changed all of that. And so we want to care for the least of these. All right, would you stand? I would like us to uh, close with a time of prayer and a reading and a hymn. Because um, there is one final thing that we can all do, and that is we can all pray which should be our natural response. And I was informed yesterday that President Trump declared today is a national day of prayer. So we have some prayer points. If you'll get on the church website, the, the virus thing that we put up has some prayer points. And if you even take some time today to pray through those things. Um, but encouraging us to pray um, to stem the tide of this pandemic, not just in our communities and our cities, but in and not just America, but around the world. Um, praying for the weak and vulnerable in our society, the ones who easily succumb to it, praying for those who are called to address this crisis, you know, medical professionals, those in positions of authority, law enforcement, you know, all those fields that they would be equipped to handle what's coming with strength and wisdom and compassion, that we as the body of Christ around America would lead the way in exhibiting a spirit of trust in God and love for others. Pray for our missionaries overseas because some of them are serving in countries that are really hard hit right now and have an opportunity to minister there. 
and just pray for embodies again for opportunities for us to be the embodiment of living hope so people might ask us of the hope that's within us so can I pray so Lord we do lift all these things up um, we look to you I am so thankful that you are my father that I live in an unshakable kingdom that you care for me that you're in control even though I'm not that my soul is in your hands and I entrust all of that to you so help us, Lord, to live without a spirit of fear, but with a spirit of power and of love, of self-control, of wisdom, that we would exhibit this non-anxious presence to those around us. We do pray that you would stem the tide of this pandemic, that you would protect the weak and vulnerable around us who can so come so easily. We pray for the professionals that are going to be dealing with this. Even so many people, or jobs are at stake. But for all those professionals that are going to get hit with this in Emporia, probably in the next few weeks, pray for them. Strength and wisdom, compassion as they may have to be working long hours, be making tough decisions. We pray that your body around the world would lead the way in exhibiting a spirit of trust in you that we in Emporia, that we who trust you would embody that hope to people around us. We do pray for our missionaries, Lord, that they would be your ambassadors in their city settings, that they, you would use them to offer hope of a gospel in a lot of cultures where there is zero hope. And Lord, we just pray that you would give us opportunities through our own lives to be able to speak the truth into, to those around us of the hope that you provide. Help us to have open ears and open eyes to conversations where we may direct anxious people toward you. And we pray in your name, Jesus, our good shepherd. Amen. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, one of the earliest Protestant catechisms written, speaks to this time, I think. And I want us to read it together. I will read the question, and then can we read together the answer in the catechism? So what is your only hope? in life and death, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And can we end with... Uh, an old hymn, and I've got the words here, so I'm going to start it. If you'll forgive me for how I start it, uh, <clears throat> here we go. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spring, but holy Solid rock I 
solid rock. So, in the name of Jesus, you are sent this week. Not with a spirit of fear, because he's not given us a spirit of fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. You're sent with a spirit of power, and of love, and of sound judgment. So go and embody hope to an anxious world. And God's people said to that, amen. You're sent.